You're listening to the Creating a Brand podcast, where we deliver weekly interviews on topics to help entrepreneurs make their first or next step in business the right one. I am your host, Alex Sanfilippo. How do you describe your marketing strategy? Most of us, myself included, often just follow the strategy and standards set by the industry that we're in. But today's guest tells us how and why we need to get different with our marketing efforts if we really want to stand out. I'm bringing a prior guest back on the show. His name is Mike Michalowicz. Mike is a best-selling author of many books, including Profit First and Fix This Next, which we talked about last time he was on the show. In today's episode, we're talking through points from Mike's book titled Get Different, which is focused on helping each of us get better at marketing our products and services. Even if you don't consider yourself to be a marketer, you'll be able to pull a lot of value from this conversation. For links to resources that will be mentioned during this episode, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 130. And now let's not wait any longer. Here's my conversation with my friend, Mike Michalowicz. Mike, welcome back to the Creating a Brand podcast. Alex, it is a joy to be back with you. Yeah, man, really excited to have you back with us. You were actually previously on episode number 53. So it is, it's been a little while. Uh, we talked about uh, Fix This Next to Grow Your Business and Creating a Brand listeners. I encourage you to go back and check out that episode if you didn't hear it. It's at creatingabrand.com slash 053. Mike, actually, I never mentioned this to you, but we actually had a really big shout out from Buzzsprout on that uh, podcast episode. They talked about it on their podcast and they sent it out in their newsletter. And they're the largest podcast hosting provider. So it was like a huge boost for the book and for the uh, the episode and stuff. So that was pretty cool. Who knows? That, maybe I mean, maybe it'll happen again. very cool. I did not know that. Thank you, Buzzsprout. Yeah, yeah right. That was pretty sweet. Uh, anyway, Mike, first off, I want to mention how much I appreciate the work that you do. Um, you regularly talk about your mission being to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. Yeah. And I can tell you, you do more of that than you probably realize. I mean, you, you know that you're making an impact, but it's probably more than you realize. And just to use myself as an example here, with my software business, podmatch.com, we decided not to raise capital when we started. So that means we bootstrapped, which is I love it. like translation for not getting paid in the startup world, right? Like that's how <laughs> true, it usually true. goes. And me and my co-founder decided, you know what, we're going to adopt this profit first model. And I'm proud to say, man, like after just one year, like just a couple months ago, we actually did our first paychecks to, our, to each other. And uh, man, like so exciting to see that happen. And additionally with that, we actually were able to have enough in our bank because we're prioritizing that, that we actually had the opportunity to buy out one of our competitors and we had the cash to do it. So we didn't need to raise money. So like, man, that helped so much. And then just to continue that, to go on to, to fix this next, another book of yours, uh, we approach everything in our business that way. We look at like, what's the next thing that we need to do to Good. improve this overall business, man. I'll tell you what, it's just had such an impact. So for me personally, man, you have had a huge impact on me as an entrepreneur. And I just wanted to tell you that, man, it means a lot from the bottom of my heart. I'm so thankful to have been impacted by you and just been able to, to grow and go further as an entrepreneur. So thank you for everything you do, man. You're very welcome. And thank you for that feedback. That fuels me. Like, like now I got five more books to write because you said that. Like, <laughs> it gets me so pumped. So thank you. <laughs> That's cool. Everyone, me and Mike just had a moment, but we're yeah, back right. now. Um, <laughs> the bromance. <laughs> so today we're actually talking through the point, some points from your book titled Get Different. Yeah. And this covers how to market your business in a way that just cannot be ignored. And I feel like you wrote this book, another one, just directly for me. Uh, very timely. I know it's got a ton of value to the Creating Brand listeners today. So I'm excited to jump into this today. So thanks again for this, this book. It's really excellent. Yeah, thank you. Let's do it. My first question, for sake of time here, I just want to jump straight into it here. I want to talk about the very first chapter. You talk about your responsibility to market. Yeah. Can you elaborate on what this means and why it's our responsibility to market? Yeah, yeah. And I tell the story of, of my aha moment. It boils down to this. As a small business owner, 
if you feel that you have an offering that's better than your competition in some capacity, you respond faster, you care more, better quality service, whatever it is, that if the if the clients and prospects don't discover you, they're going to buy. They're just going to buy from someone inferior, which is their problem. But it's our fault for not marketing. That's why we have a responsibility to market. I actually, now, I wish I put these words in the book. I didn't. But it's the ultimate act of kindness. If you really have something superior, don't you have a responsibility? Isn't it kind to share that? And I'm not saying throw or jam this down someone's throat. If the customer decides that they don't want to buy, that's okay. But they need an awareness of you. So we have a responsibility to get in front of them, to expose them to the better option, and then allow them to make the choice that they feel is best for them. So if you're somebody who, who's hearing this, like, like me, uh, maybe not a traditional marketing person, or you don't feel like that's one of your skill sets, what do you say to that person who's just like, that's not me? I mean, yeah. I, what do you think yeah. about that? Does that question make sense? Yeah, oh, it totally makes sense. And um, so a lot of people say, I don't, I, that's not me. I feel I'm being bothersome and stuff like that. Um, it is not us when it's inconsistent with who we are. So when it comes to this marketing process, I'm not talking about outrageous marketing. I'm not talking about quirky or weird marketing. I'm talking about what is intrinsically true to you, just amplifying it, which maybe you are a quirky person. I'm, I'm definitely silly and quirky. That plays into me, but it's not everyone's style. Maybe you're the most professional. Well, then do a professional uh, method of marketing, something that's really conservative, like uber conservative, uber professional. But whatever you do, just don't do what the market's doing. So here's an example. Like, I, I got this email 10 years ago that started off, with, or five years ago, started off with, hey, friend. And I remember that first email. I know you got two out. The first one yeah. you get, you're like, oh, like, who is this friend of mine? I, I haven't heard from them in years. Who could this be? And you find out it's a marketing message. And then the next one comes, it starts off with, hey, friend. You're like, oh, these are marketing messages, aren't they? And we never pay attention again. The consumer gets what's called habituated to marketing. When we see something repeatedly, if it wasn't relevant the first time, we'll disregard it the second time and disregard it forevermore. So our job as marketers, and we all have to market, is to market in a way that's simply not consistent with what everyone else is doing, which ironically is just being more of you. So if you're not a marketer, God bless you, you got a real shot at this. Just be you expressively, but be you professional, quirky, silly, loud, quiet, whatever it is, but express that as long as it's different, it'll garner attention. You have a quote in the book where you say, different is not doing more of what they do. Different is doing more of you. Yes. And now, so I want to, I have a follow-up question that, because I really love that quote. I wrote it down, highlighted that. And I was wondering, what if you don't really know who you are? Like you're new in the business space and you're really unsure of what makes you different. How can you start to discover that? Yeah, the, the, the friends and, and people around you know, and uh, it's your current friends, but it's also your historical friends. So go back in your life, maybe college, back to kindergarten, whatever. Reach out to people that you haven't been in contact with and say, listen, this weird author guy, Mike, is saying I got to do this. I'm running a quick experiment. Um, I want to know what makes me unique. What do you remember most about me? And also do that with your current friends. What makes me most different? What makes me most unique? And you'll start seeing a common thread. Like someone may say, like, you do always were just inspiring. Like you'd always say kind words. And I always felt inspired being around you. Or maybe the feedback is like, you were just always silly. You brought, you brought a laugh to a moment when things were over, too serious. That common thread, whatever it may be, is the definition of who you are. And because we're looking at frames of your life throughout your life, you're going to see this consistency. That is your marketing angle. So if you were the, the inspirer, 
Be the most inspiring marketer out there. If you were the silly one, be the most silly marketer out there. There's just thousands of categories and these people have know you already know what it is. Love that. Maybe the only person you don't go to is your ex. Maybe you. Yeah, yeah, the ex out. is like, you're just a big dick. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. no. <laughs> so moving right along here, this kind of leads me right into my next question here. So we need to make sure that we market, like we have that responsibility. That's important for us to do. From yeah. there, you actually go into talking about what you call the dad marketing framework. Yeah. Can you give us an overview of what this is? And then we'll actually dive into the points individually. Yeah, let's do it. So, so I boiled down the essence of marketing and, uh, Dad is in three stages, or, or marketing works in three stages, which I call dad. So it's an acronym for first differentiate. The real kind of bullet point on this is if you don't do different, uh, it, it's ignorable because because it, it can't be discerned. So different garners attention, and it, and it always works. It always gets attention. Doesn't mean it always sells. Different gets attention. A stands for attract, meaning whatever different marketing we're doing also must be compelling to the audience we're speaking to. Does it solve a problem they have? But does it speak to maybe curiosity or just interest? Maybe just is entertaining. There's gotta be a reason that the consumer of that marketing piece wants to stay engaged. So you don't always have to be selling your item and say, you, you, know, you have a big problem, we'll fix it. It can be just entertaining them, but there's gotta be a reason for them to stay. And the last part, D, stands for direct. We must give them a specific and explicit direction to take. And sadly, a lot of marketing misses out on this. You know, it's different, it gets noticed, it's attractive, then the consumer doesn't know what to do with it. We have to tell them what to do in the next step. There is a key to this, it means to be reasonable and safe. Meaning if we ask them to do something extreme, give me a $100,000 deposit and we'll have that consulting call to right. see if you're a fit, that's outrageous, they're not gonna do it. What is reasonable and safe for them to get them closer to the final transaction? So to summarize quickly, do different to get noticed in a way that attracts your ideal prospects and directs them to act. Oh my, I, and dude, I should put that in the book. That was, that's, that's exactly what I should have said. That's, that's in the book. I know, so, I know, I know. Okay. All right. Just making sure. Yeah, exactly. I was going to give and you the credit. And scene. <laughs> right. Well said. So going back to the, the first D of this dad framework here, which is to differentiate, to attract. Can you talk about how we can identify and discover what unique differentiators we have as individuals and as our companies? Yeah. Yeah. So once you investigate what makes you different, so you, I, I told you a way to do that is to reach out to uh, past acquaintances and friends and stuff. Um, but you also know what intrinsically feels true to you. Now, I'm not saying you're going to necessarily feel comfortable being different. You already are. But sometimes to express that is very fearful because it, it, it's wired into us all the way from Neanderthal days. Caveman us, uh, it was really risky to be different because you get kicked out of the tribe. Like everyone's going for the woolly mammoth and I'm like, we're going for the saber tooth tiger. Ah! And I go running for it. Uh, first of all, the like, tribe's like, we don't want you back. Plus now I'm out there on my own and I'm probably getting killed. So you don't survive that way. You do what the group does. Uh, it's ironic that being noticeable back then was risky, but being noticeable today is actually unrisky. You have to be at noticed. So there's this weird kind of, bipolar feeling we have. We want to get noticed without being noticeable. We want to stand out without having to stand out. So we're kind of pulled both ways. The way to get there different, once you know your different factor and you know how to get it, ask people. Once you know your different factor, simply realize it's an act of kindness. You must frame it that way, that by doing this, you're being of service. And when you start truly understanding this, you have a great thing you're offering, you're doing it in a unique way, and this is kind, then we can get over that fear of trying to fit in with everybody else. The thing I really like about this is it almost 
makes you seem less sleazy, right? Like, because if, if you feel like you're just doing whatever else is doing, you kind of almost feel dirty doing it. Imposter right? Like, syndrome, right? Yeah. And, and here's the thing. If you're doing this out of a place of, of caring and respect for the person that you know that you have something you can serve, it doesn't feel sleazy anymore because you know that you're actually doing something that's potentially going to help and save somebody, right? Oh, yeah. And, and, and you get the rejection and you're going to get rejection. It's like, oh, man, that's too bad. I, I really feel sorry for them. Like, I, I really feel that way. Yeah. When, when I try to put my books out there and someone's like, dude, you sound like a big D-bag. Your books suck. I'm like, fudge, I really didn't serve them well. I, it, it, it no longer becomes combative. It used to be if someone's like, oh, you suck. I'm like, no, you suck more, man. Right. <laughs> but, but now I'm like, oh, it, uh, shame on me. I haven't been of enough service. So uh, it, it does change that framing, too. You feel a lot better about rejection. I think that's such a powerful thing to talk about because in today's world, the rejections come a lot. And sometimes it's just people who don't even really look at anything you're doing. People just, I don't know if they just like being mean or rude or maybe you just approach them the wrong way, but it happens a lot. So it's it happens great to have this perspective. Yeah, because we're behind the windshield. You know, there, there's interesting studies about uh, driving cars and how easy it is to flip the bird at somebody in a car because we set, feel this sense of isolation that even though you know, we're through a clear windshield and they can see us, we feel disconnected and that we can, we can act out almost animalistically. Well, fast forward on the internet, um, we're behind the, the, the cloud of the web. You, you, it's anonymous, so you can slam people. And what happens, and the reason we do this, we get a short temporary joy. It's a sense of empowerment. I took someone that's achieving or successful or doing something, and I knocked them down a step, and I feel good about myself. But it's very short-lived, and then it starts to wane. And then we actually start feeling bad about ourselves because we're, we're perpetuating bad things. So we actually do a nasty attack again to feel good for a second. It's like worse than crack cocaine. So when you see people doing that, um, often there's a struggle that they're experiencing. It's, it's, it's sad. Hmm. Wow, I, I did not know like the, the research, the psychology that went behind that. That's yeah, pretty there's, extreme. there's a dopamine release, but it's short lived and it's, it's not a good thing. Either way, going back to the, the point here, the point is like, don't let that keep you from doing this. Because again, if you have something good or something that's helpful for, the, for people around you, it's again your job to get out there and market and find the thing that makes you different and just go after it. And yeah, all of us are going to have people come after us and say something negative or mean. Like, that's inevitable. That's going to happen to every single person who does any form of outreach. Yeah, and they, they cause a rally, actually. So the, the haters actually cause a great event, unintentionally. But when you put stuff out there and you really are authentically yourself and you're marking that way, the right tribe will find you. And, and they're going to say thank you, finally, for standing up and getting noticed. So they applaud you. The haters will come about, too, uh, because they get an energy out of it. Now they start the attack. But when you get the haters and the lovers going both after you, they both get elevated. The people that love you say, you're idiots. The haters go, you're idiots for liking this person. You see it play out in politics all the time. That combative nature elevates actually the candidates. They want that. But we just have to realize that it really isn't about us. It, you, everyone makes decisions about themselves. My self-interest is about my self-interest. But everyone that consumes my stuff is about their own self-interest. It's just going to manifest in different ways. If I can get the conflict, that's actually a good thing because it garners more exposure. See, what you're sharing there is from like a huge level of experience. Like you've, you've been around and doing this for a little bit. I can tell from just that experience you just shared. But many of us, we can get 10 really great comments or 100 great comments. Right, and we get right, one that's really one. negative and it hurts. How did at some point that was you like early on? How did you begin to overcome that? Because now I'm sure every day someone says something negative about you with the 100 or 1,000 people that say something nice about you every day. But how are you able to really fight that? Because I think, again, the reason I'm kind of honing on this point before we move along is I think this is what stops a lot of people. They oh, don't yeah. want to feel that way. Yeah, a, a few ways. So first of all, um, what I realize is if you, if you run the data, 
uh, and you run the percentages, it's like, oh, it's basically no one. And so one out of 10 is 10%. That means nine people, love, out of the next 100 people are coming your way, 90 people are gonna fall in love with you if you continue this, and maybe 10 won't like you. But 90 are gonna fall in love with you. So that the data is showing me it's in my favor to continue, it's in their favor to continue. So I just run the numbers. The second thing I, I did, and I, I still, you know, every so often someone will get me just a little bit. I'm like, just give it 24 hours. I'll probably forget about this in 24 hours. And, and almost all the time, I forget about it. In the rare occasion where I feel compelled that this one really got to me, I respond, but not publicly. I respond actually personally. And I do it only in a way that's supportive. I, like, I actually had a case where someone's like, uh, your organization behind Profit First is called Profit First Professionals, sucks. They said, you're the worst organization ever and I hate all your stuff. So I reached out to this person and I said, I'm really sorry that you feel that way and you've had that experience. First thing I wanna do is make sure that I refund you for anything you've purchased. Ends up, the only thing this person purchased was the book Profit First and liked it. He just saw a bad review about the organization and decided not to proceed with it, so he had no experience. So then I said, I'm refunding your money. He wrote back and said, this is unheard of. He goes, I, I was just frustrated in the moment, uh, honestly, and, and just kinda reached out about other issues going on in my business and kind of leaned into you. The fact that you refunded me is unbelievable. He flipped to a fan now. He's telling people mm. about organization. I found that his circumstance and so many of us is when we're really going lashing out in anger or, or something or, or trying to slam a business, it's usually not about them. There's some other pain we're experiencing and, and maybe we just give them a little salt on that wound. So the best response is kindness. It wins out almost every single time. Some wisdom right there, man. Thank you. That that speaks to me where I'm at with with Podmatch growing it. We we get all the good feedback and occasionally the bad feedback. So that's very helpful for me and I'm sure the listeners as well. So thanks for really covering that point. Hey, Alex Sanfilippo here, and I want to take a quick moment to intentionally serve the world with you. Here's what I want you to do. Think of the one person you know who would most benefit from listening to this episode today. Now, I want you to send it to them, but also include an encouraging note explaining why you share this episode with them specifically. By doing this, you're helping me grow this podcast, and you're also adding value to the people you care about. With that said, thank you for your continued support. It means the world to me. And now, let's get back to today's episode. So that's the first D. But moving into the, the A, the middle of this thing now, and this is attract for engagement. I think this is where a lot of people also get stuck because we're not sure who we should be attracting or if we're actually attracting the right type of people. Like, what are some practical ways we can start to actually make sure that we're on the right path here? Yeah. So let's start off with the who to attract. Uh, I, I wrote another book called The Pumpkin Plan where I, I studied this extensively. Basically, there's a process I call cloning. Look at your historical best customers and learn about them. Ask them, where do they congregate? Where do they go? So my best reader uh, may buy, you know, dozens of books and hand them out to friends all the time. Maybe that defines a best reader. And uh, I'll interview them and say, you know, where do you hang out? What do you like to consume? I'll say, oh, I love podcasts by, you know, whatever, um, Malcolm Gladwell or something. And I listen to all those Gladwell uh, uh, podcasts. Then I'm like, oh, if my best customers go in there, I suspect other people just like them with similar interests and desires are also going to that. Malcolm Gladwell's podcast may be a good platform to market. So now I'll make a concentrated effort maybe to be a guest on that podcast or to, if, if there's an advertising platform, to actually advertise there in some capacity. So you find the who by looking at who you already have, identifying the best ones and trying to clone them. When it comes to the attractor factor is we need to start speaking their language. This is one of the benefits of knowing the who again. 
those best customers, you can interview them and learn about them and learn how to speak to them. What are their common problems? Uh, what are the, the solutions they're seeking? What, what entertains them? What educates them? And so then in our marketing, once we do different to get noticed, we, we position in a way that speaks the lingo, the language of, of our best customers. And that will inherently attract more people just like them. So now that's how you start concentrating in, in that area. I think that's such a powerful point here is to make sure that we're thinking about who is a good customer or what does an ideal customer look like, right? Like really defining that and going after that individual. I think that makes a lot of sense. And it's it's funny because now that you say it, it seems like, oh, that seems like it should be common sense, but I had never thought about it before. Instead of what I should be doing now, like you're saying, we have our, our agency side of our, our platform and those are bigger clients. We've always kind of had trouble finding like who to look for. But yeah. as you're saying this, I should just take maybe the top three to five of them, the ones that I'm like, these guys are awesome and clone them as you're saying, and really go after attracting more of that individual based off of how they are. A am I summarizing that correctly? That's exactly right. Uh, so this is diverging a little bit, but I think it'll be helpful from the pumpkin plan. When you identify your best clients, they're, I, I call them the crush cringe. It's generally the people that spend the most money with you because they're demonstrating through their spend, through their actions or wallets that they value you. Uh, it's not the words. You know, people can say great things, but they don't do business with you. It's, it's who's right. actually doing it. But it, it intersects with the ones that you get the most joy out of. So people spending money is wonderful, but if you, get, if you have enjoyment serving those clients, that's magnificent. Once we identify those best customers, those are the ones we want to replicate. Typically, the concept of the Pareto Principle says that 20% of your customers may fall into that category. So it's going to be the few that fall in that category. Once you identify those few, yes, you interview them, you ask these questions where they congregate. There's other questions you can ask on serving them better. Um, but birds of a feather flock together. So knowing those best customers intrinsically and then learning about where they go, it's, it's uncanny. You'll find so many more customers just like them. That's great. Now, moving on here to the last part of this framework, and this is that second D, this is to direct for results. So how do we track the results or know if what we're doing is the right thing? And, and what I mean by that is like, what if we're, we think we're doing something that's good, but it turns out we're, there's something better out there. Like, how do you actually know if it's enough? Yeah. So you insert a key. Uh, this is a technique that was developed by direct marketers, but really any form of marketing should use it. An example of a key is this, is that I want to know that uh, something is what it results in. So as a direct marketer, maybe I mail out a, email, uh, a print mail campaign, and it's a letter that says, you know, buy from me today. I would send out that, and at the, in there it'd say, call our 800 number and dial extension 1. Then I'd send out another mailer that says, you know, we got your stuff today. Call this number to buy and dial extension number 2. And the key is extension 1 and extension 2. Anytime extension one rings, I'm tallying this was the source of it. Anytime extension two rings, I know the source. Keying is tying in a marketing effort uh, to a result and, and being able to explicitly uh, track results for that one activity. So now we can start running multiple experiments. And, and I call these experiments because many people say I need a marketing plan. I think it's a dangerous word because a plan means commitment. It doesn't give any flexibility. An experiment means there's an expectation things will fail, some will succeed, we'll figure it out. It's an experiment. So we run these experiments and we key them all differently to see what's working. When something gets more traction, we start tweaking and enhancing that. When something's failing, maybe we abandon it, maybe we fix it. Rarely when you do a marketing experiment, we're gonna, are you gonna get a hit day one, like a home run? But you may get on base, and those are the things we start improving until we start hitting home runs. So to make this really practical here, I'm just thinking about, 
I do a lot of videos, and I'm wondering, like on the videos, I usually just put the website URL, but what I should probably start doing is put the URL slash free or slash something, right? That way I can see what's coming there. So then I can know if in these videos, or is anyone coming to my website because of these videos versus, oh, I'm getting a lot of traffic from my homepage. I think everything I'm doing is working. That's exactly it, because then you'll start knowing the source. And now, you know, it's funny, I, I was just doing a test with videos myself yesterday. I was, I was doing a campaign and I tried out two videos. I sent out a standard video. I sent out another video that blinked in the beginning. It said, uh, personal message from Mike. And in, in parentheses, parentheses, it said, nude scenes deleted. That one got double the click-through rate. So I was sending them to, and I would have never known that people kind of latched onto that humor that um, that second one was, was more successful, but I keyed it so I could see it. Hmm. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. This is maybe slightly inappropriate, but also hilarious. Um, there was a church that I attended at one point out of, out of state. I think it was somewhere in the Midwest, and they were a pretty big church, but they decided they weren't getting enough traffic to their, like their um, streaming side of things where you could like watch the service online. So they were running Google ads, and they decided to change one of the campaigns. So when you typed in nude women, it would say, looking for nude women, try attending church instead. And they I said, love it. They said it was like 900% better engagement because they had, like you're saying, they had that key so they could see where they were coming from with the different keywords. They said I, that love they I love it. I position all their marketing that way. Yeah, and you know what? And it's, it's a unique approach. Here's what I like. It's different, right? How many churches are marketing that way? So instantly Zero. you're getting noticed. Just one. Sorry, one. Just one, right? <laughs> right, yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. That's different. Like no one else is doing that. It's attractive because there's certain people that are doing that and saying, this is not a behavior I want to do. This is coming out of a habit, habit or, or is even an addiction. So I'm looking for resolution. So you're actually speaking to the right audience for some of those people. And it has the direct click here. I freaking love that. Simple, effective. Love it. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I'm glad you brought that up because it kind of sparked my memory on that. That was pretty good. So now that uh, something actually that you mentioned at the end of this section I loved is you just say to ask yourself, does dad approve? Uh, of course, being the which is, the which is really creepy. It's more creepy than churchgoers and nude women. Like, <laughs> yeah, I tell people it, it's a mnemonic. So it's real simple. Any advertising you look at, and you can look at your competitors, your own, simply say, does dad approve? And you'll remember, does it differentiate? Does it attract? Does it direct? If it's missing any one of those elements, it's destined to fail. And, and you're going to see it all the time. I, I was watching the Super Bowl ads this last Super Bowl. And, you know, on comes, you know, it's Clop and Clyde Stales, there's snow coming down, people are drinking beer, it's a Budweiser commercial, I'm like, this is awesome. It's different, it was a fresh presentation of the advertisement, people were talking about, it was attractive, it's a compelling story, it's really powerful, but it didn't have a direct, it failed the test. They didn't, at the end, they didn't say, you know, go to this QR code or go to this website and give us your email, we're going to send you a free six pack. They could have won hundreds of thousands, if not millions of emails but they fail to do it. So even the big players miss some of these critical steps and it hurts their marketing campaign. Man, I love this framework. It's been so helpful. Enjoyed this book thoroughly. Mike, I want to ask before we end our time here together, because I know that we just had you for a little bit here. Do you have any final thoughts on this topic? And I will say in maybe direct relation to what your next step is after you learn this dad method, like what's the next thing we should do? And again, in terms of your final thoughts for this episode. Yeah, well, my final thought is, is, is I want to reiterate something important. Your clients, your prospects are starving to find you. Uh, I was saying for the longest time that small business is the backbone of the economy, and I now regret it. It's wrong. Small business is the economy. We need the rally of small business because we care more. 
Listen, last time I, I bought something from Amazon, I don't think Jeff Bezos packed it. He didn't gift wrapped it and he didn't follow up and say, how's it going? Last time I bought for his local retail store, the same thing, they gift wrapped it, they called a day later say, is it working for you? It was an extraordinary experience. Small business simply cares more. But if we're not discoverable, we can't be of service. You must be discovered, you must market differently. Love it. Mike, thank you again for being a guest and just giving me the opportunity to learn from you and for all the listeners as well. I, I thank you so much for your time. Thank you, brother. It's always a joy to be with you, Alex. Every time I get the opportunity to talk with Mike, it is a good time. He's not only a brilliant entrepreneur, but he's also a super fun person in general. He's a great reminder that starting your own business and becoming an entrepreneur should be fun along the way. And I hope our conversation today inspires you to get different with how you're marketing your business. Follow the steps that Mike shared with us today, and I know you'll begin seeing better results. I'm already working on something different I can do with my marketing that fits my personality perfectly, and I'll be sharing that with all of you soon. Mike, thank you for coming back as a guest for a second time and sharing your expertise with us today. For links to Mike McCallwood's book, Get Different, and to our previous interview, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 130. Thank you as always for listening. I'm looking forward to bringing you another Masterclass episode next week.